How you doing today, Brian? Hey, I'm awesome. I'm feeling like a superhero today, Nick. I know. Today we had uh, Eric Qualman, Equal Man, and, and I know you've brought up a ton of his books. Like when you and I have had solo shows um, together, you've brought up you know his digital leader book quite often. So it, it was a really great conversation. We touched on everything from focus to you know comparing yourself to others to to what he thinks is coming in the future. There, there are great tips and tricks in every one of his books, and I can't recommend him more, uh, whether you're uh, a leader in technology, whether you're a leader of an organization, you're in marketing, you're in sales, he's got something for everyone. And this latest book that he's put out, The Focus Project, uh, also delves into a lot of these health characteristics to make the best improvements for yourself, standing like a superhero, uh, being only one among them. Ooh, and with that, let's just uh, let the listeners get on with the show. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Cummerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nicholas Wano in Washington, D.C. And we're thrilled today to be joined by Eric Qualman, known by many as Equal Man, uh, who's a motivational speaker, number one best-selling author of numerous titles, among them Social Nomics, Digital Leader, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube, How to Sell on LinkedIn, and most recently, The Focus Project. Eric's also the host of the Super You podcast, and he's produced the world's most watched social media video, Social Media Revolution. Eric, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here today. No, thanks for having me. It's such an honor. No, All right. Thanks, well, thanks I, for being here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, we we want to give our audience an opportunity to get to know you. For those who may not have uh, heard that you're ranked among the world's most likable authors, right after J.K. Rowling. <laughs> so, uh, so I'd like you to give a little bit of your own background, and and I want to start with the most burning question, right? Basketball, uh, and then digital. How? How? Right. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, for first of all, being ranked the second most likable author is a distant, distant second. I think my mom even voted for J.K. Rowling. She's a huge Harry Potter fan. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm really lucky to do what I do. Uh, I've been in the digital space now 27 years. And in the last decade, I've been writing books and speaking around the world. I think we've now been to 55 countries. We've reached over 50 million people, both in person and also digitally. So it's been a wild ride, and I don't know if you wanted me to get in the basketball piece or, or <laughs> no, go for it, go for it. <laughs> I, I think it's a, story. So it's a curious leap, you know. I think it's relevant for what we do, all of us, because everyone that's listening understands it's really about that grit and that grind. No matter what you're trying to do, it's like, can you stay? You have the initiative, right? You have the intuition to do something, and then who's going to have the perseverance? Who's going to stand through it? Who's going to have that grit? And I love basketball growing up. I mean, eighth grade, I wrote a magazine called Swish Magazine. It actually had people <laughs> advertise in this magazine. When I say people, it's mainly my dad. But <laughs> kind of that entrepreneurial spirit. But I got cut as a junior in my high school team. Like, didn't make varsity. And so then I go to college. I go to Michigan State University. And I still love basketball. So I go, I got to get involved. So I'm going to go out for the manager. That's like the water boy. Right. And Michigan State, <laughs> top 10 program, you got to try out to be the water boy. So here I am ecstatic <laughs> that I made water boy. <laughs> and the first two years on the manager, 
And then all of a sudden the dream just hadn't died. I go, I gotta, I gotta play college basketball at the highest level. And so literally just put on the, the weight 50, I think it's 60 pounds, you know, put on 50, 60 pounds and then, wow. and then just kept at it. And then eventually long story short, walked on the team and then got a scholarship. But the reason I was able to walk on the team, I think primarily is that occasionally there's not enough guys to practice. And so like once or twice a year, there'll be like Quammen, you know, the manager, get in there. We need a body. We don't have 10 guys. And so my junior year, I started to get inkling. I go, I should have tried out this year. I didn't have the confidence, but I go, I would have made the team. I'm better than that 13th guy on the bench that carried 13 players. <laughs> and so it was that day they go, get in. I'm like, this is my shot. This is my shot. No pun intended. And I'm having <laughs> like the sun is like, ah, like everything is going right. Couldn't miss, like steals, the ball's just coming my way. I'm like, oh, this is it. And then an elbow hits me in the face. And I can feel I was born with two teeth missing. So I have a fake tooth, a spacer. Mm. And I go, ooh, that feels like it knocked that spacer out. So like kind of spit those into my hand and oh, put geez. them on the side of the court and keep playing because I don't want people to know, you know, I'm 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 in here. And 20 <laughs> Minutes later, there's a timeout, and the trainer's looking over. He goes, wow, you still have blood coming. Let me look at your mouth. And he goes like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Those are just fake teeth. So they find two real teeth on the oh court where I put them with that spacer. And so I'm done for the day. The whole ride to the dentist, I don't care about the pain. I'm just like, I can't believe that happened to me. And then a year later, I walk on the team, and I realize looking back, Izzo builds that whole program around grit and grind. That, like the next day at practice, he goes, Quammen, I don't know if you're the toughest guy I know or the dumbest guy I know. <laughs> he goes, maybe somewhere in the middle. And so the, the looking back, like that's the best thing. Getting my teeth, getting your teeth kicked in <laughs> is sometimes the best thing that could ever happen to you. So don't think about things happening to you. Think about it happening for you. And sometimes it's hard in the moment when you're getting driven to the dentist with all your teeth out and you had to end practice. But then all of a sudden, it connects the dots in the future. And so it's a very long story, but it's just a reminder to all of us is about that grit. A lot of you are going through it today, just something. You got your teeth kicked in on something and then realize it's not pleasant right now, but somehow that's going to help you that it's happening for you. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, typically that's a metaphorical thing that we say, you know, get yeah. your teeth kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my teeth. When you have kids, you guys know this, like there's no filter, right? Daddy, why are those teeth a different color? Okay, time to get them replaced. <laughs> they are no filter. And I lost yeah. one of my front teeth, and I wish it was an awesome story like that. But I was a kid on a roller racer and ran over a Ninja Turtle and oh my planted, God. you know? So, so it's like oh. nowhere near as interesting. Nowhere near oh as Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's great. It's uh, I think it is uh, a great trajectory uh, into a leadership motivational speaker role. I mean, it, it's a great backstory to have. So thank you for taking the time to share that with us. Uh, you know, the first time that uh, that I was exposed to your work, I was lucky enough to hear you speak uh, at a conference for uh, for an insurance technology company called Prospects. And we were in Aspen, Colorado. You gave me a copy of your book, Digital Leader. And, uh, you know, I was immediately inspired by it, uh, in part because it was so completely relevant to everything that was happening then. The irony is, you know, now this book's, I guess it's more than a decade old, right? And, uh, and it still couldn't be more relevant uh, today. 
So some of those things that you talk about, just kind of leading with this concept, you know, Nick and I have, have often posed the question, are, are digital leaders born or are, are they made, right? And uh, or, or rather, are leaders born or are they made? And in your case, you, uh, you state right out front, digital leaders are made and not born. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, and it's funny. I've almost, my new catchphrase is digital leaders aren't digital. <laughs> that sounds counterintuitive, but it's really Jetson's Flintstones. That you still need a human being to lead and to help lead the whole everyone together into that transformation. So it's a beautiful thing. When I talk about that transformation, a lot of you listeners, you're facing this, and it can be frustrating because some people don't get it. They're like, wait, I thought we did that. Are, are we done with the transformation? I thought we like did the did that weekend, the offsite, and we worked on it for like a month. <laughs> We're good, right? No, it's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. As soon as you're done, you got to turn around and, and repaint it. And so the transformations and all the time kind of thing. And the beautiful thing is about digital leadership is it is they're made, not born. And so knowing that technology changes every second, but human nature never does, what I want to uncover, not only for myself, but then hopefully I always start a book with the readership of one, me, what am I struggling with? And then, so at least there's one reader. And then there's other people probably that are faced with the same thing. And so I wanted to figure out what are the habits that will stand the test of time, knowing the transformation and also this technology changes every second, but human nature never does. What can I as an individual and as a leader practice, have those habits each and every day to where it doesn't matter what changes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be protected for the future because I'm going to help design it because I, I practice these habits each and every day. And that, that falls squarely into really that that sweet spot that most uh most of us who work in technology in particular are looking for right which is innovation right it's that that coveted end goal right mm -hmm. <laughs> but right. part part of what you're talking about is it's really we have to have this agility right it's it's never an end goal it's always morphing and in transition and how are we uh really designating uh you know what what that that goal is but continuing uh, to augment, you know, ultimately what it may mean or or how it may impact. So I know in in, in one part of digital leader, uh, you know, towards the end of the book, you talk about uh, the concept of flexible uh, or firm in destination and, and flexible in path, right? Which to me is, I mean, that is what you know, agile practice is is really you know built upon. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, if you look at it. Firm in your destination, flexible in your path. And so what that looks like is, for example, if I'm going to use this person just because most people know who this person is, but if you look at Steve Jobs, and so his firm destination, I want to put a dent in the universe. And then at the age of 30, a lot of you recall, he's fired from Apple by the board. So the company starts, hey, we don't need you. Get out of here. He's not too happy about it, but he goes and starts next computers, and then he becomes the CEO of Pixar. And then... Apple, a couple of years later, they're going through dire straits, about to possibly go out of business. They go, let's roll the dice. We got to bring Steve back. That's our last chance. And he comes back. He's a much better leader because of his time at Pixar. And then also, they use some of the software that they developed at Next in the new MacBooks. And then so at the time of his death, he puts that dent in the universe. They have the largest market cap of any company in the world at the time of his death. And then arguably both good and also bad, uh, the eventually the iPhones changed our behavior more than anything that's come out in the last 30 years. And so 
it's really about that firm and your destination and then also flexible in your path. Uh, and it's funny because the socionomics book, yeah, it's 10 years old. There's some stuff that's already come to fruition and some stuff that I'm hoping, I'm shocked hasn't happened. <clears throat> it's going to happen. That's not a question of if, it's when. And But it, you recall, I'm, I'm thinking through all this because you've got me started on this thread with the teeth that things happen for you, <laughs> not to you. Right. It, it, Steve Jobs, right? It's firm destination, flexible path. He's not happy, he gets fired. But in the end, it, it helped him because he may have never gone on to become CEO of Pixar if that didn't happen. It didn't. It helped his leadership. Mm -hmm. And so it helped him come back. And then when I was writing social nomics, I was living in Boston. Boston. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, properly said. Properly yeah, said. Yep, and properly, of course, yep. it's, it's Boston. So the <laughs> apartment complex my wife and I are living in, there's like this mafia control over the, the cable connection. I'm like, no, I just want right. like that I dish, whatever, Comcast, what is it? And they're like, no, you gotta call call Larry. I'm like, what do you mean I gotta call Larry? It's gonna cost you two front yeah. teeth. Got a guy. Yeah, exactly. Got a guy. Yeah. So it was. It was like whatever it was is outrageous. And I go, in principle, I'm not paying that. I'm just not gonna have TV. So I started streaming before it was a thing. And so that allowed me to see ahead of time what we're now living in. Like I go. This is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to stream. And I'm streaming the Olympics like 48 hour delay. I'm like, NBC doesn't get it. An eyeball is an eyeball. I'm yeah, worth more because worst. I'm streaming this on a MacBook. I have discretionary income. They're yeah. not getting it. They're going off the Nielsen ratings and it's going to be too late for them. And it was. Mm -hmm. And so literally they could read that and they couldn't even get out of their own way. It's like says it right in the pages. Uh, but when you live quarter to quarter, that's what happens. And anyways, you just got me on that string. That's the same thing. I didn't realize that was happening for me in the moment. I was upset. I'm like, can't believe I'm not going to have TV because of Larry. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, holy cow, I can stream some of this stuff. This is crazy. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. And the Olympic things, you know, like, is that's the Michael Phelps run, right? Is that yes, you're talking yes, about? You're streaming yeah, yeah, that. And, yeah. and they're doing on that huge delay. And I remember going way out of my way to get the BBC <laughs> feed so that I could see it in real time. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. watch this in the evening. It's happening right now. Twitter's going to ruin it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're talking about taking some of these, you know, situations where, where bad things are happening, like how, how do you frame that to flip it around? Like the Steve Jobs example, right? He, mm -hmm. he got ousted out of a company that he started that had, he had to feel terrible when that initially happens, Right. So like, Terrible, how, yeah. how do we take those things and, and flip them around to, to get a different mindset around it? Yeah, no, it's mindset is exactly that. It's where's your focus goes, your energy flows. And so I'm going to tell you this because not that I've mastered focus, far from it, right? It's a learning process. I'm trying to get 1% better each and every day when it comes to how do I focus? Where does my focus go when something like that happens? So the key is not to be a Pollyanna. This is all the research. So I did a ton of research and was like, here's the institutional research. Here's me as the guinea pig. And then so I can kind of tell you what worked for me, but it might not work for you. This other thing might work for you. But when you look at it, it's like, don't live there too long. So you want to kind of like, this stinks. All right. But me sitting here saying it stinks isn't going to do much for me. So let's focus where does my focus need to go now? So Steve Jobs, he might go, okay. But focus might be like, well, I'll show them. I'm going to start a better version over here. <laughs> and so depending on what you're in your DNA, a lot of people, that's what they go to. It's like, okay, 
oh, you rejected my book? All right, I'm going to look forward to, like you see in that, in the airport in the number one bestsellers list, and you're saying you passed on that book. You know, so it's it, it depends on what your DNA is made of, but it's really just trying to figure out, okay, what's what do I need to focus on now? So allow that kind of, that's not good, I don't like this, to kind of go through that process. And on the other end, okay, here we are, here we're going to focus. Here's how I'm going to focus. Here's our, how our team's going to focus. And one of the ways you can do that, so is, and a lot of you know this, I know this, but I don't do it every day, even though I know I should. And I'm like a person that just wrote a book on focus. So it's like, this is how hard it is. This is how hard it is. Is that the night before, you should write down what's the most important thing. What's the one thing that's going to make everything else either easier or unnecessary. If I execute on well on this one thing, it'll make everything else either easier or unnecessary. And so when you write that down, it actually makes you sleep better because your brain, you've tricked it to think, oh, I've taken care of that for now. But also your step ahead when you get up in the morning and you got to make sure that you attack it during your power hour. And you're probably like, what the heck's a power hour? So power hour is we function best basically within the hour that we naturally wake up because our brain's somewhat like the cell phone that over the day it loses its charge. Mm -hmm. and so most of us start answering email just because it's easy. We can see a number. It gives us a dopamine hit. But that's the last thing we should be doing. We should be attacking that one thing we wrote down the night before that's probably going to require actually the most brain power. Usually that's the case, the one thing you need to do. And so I'm curious to know power hour because you're either going to be a robin, an eagle, or an owl. So if you guys, so it's Saturday and you're going to wake up. So it's Saturday and let's say there's no kids, there's no alarm set, you don't have anything scheduled. Like I know it sounds like a fantasy, but <laughs> let's just say that that's the case. When would you naturally just wake up? I'm a morning person. I'll I'll wake up at seven. Okay, seven. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm not going to. I'm going to take advantage of sleeping in every okay. time. What time would you get up, Ryan? You know, probably eight forty-five. Eight forty-five. Okay. Eight forty-five. <laughs> Got it. So the janitor, you're right on the cut. So if you're seven or earlier, you're a robin. Mm -hmm. If you're seven to ten, like Brian, then you're an eagle, which most people are eagles. And then if you're after ten, then you're a night owl. And so those are your power hours to understand when that hour when you naturally wake up. So seven to eight for you, it might be eight forty-five to nine forty-five. And so it, it it just depends on the day. Sometimes you wake up different times, but it's really you know that your sweet spot's probably that eight forty-five to nine forty-five. And so try to just attack the day before it attacks you. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this isn't anything earth-shattering. I did all this research, different books. Essentially, you know, you read all this stuff for thousands of years, and then it's like, okay, it's not the knowledge. It's am I going to do it? <laughs> so I know I can give me in better shape. I got to eat better and exercise more. Pretty simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Just like I said, if you did one thing around focus, write down the one thing the night before, and here I am. I haven't done it a couple of days this week. I mean, how is that possible? So it's just, but right. over time, I've been better at it. Before I do it zero times, how do I get 1% better each and every day? Love yeah, that. It's... And I also, I also love that in the beginning of that, you said you're just trying to get 1% better than you were yesterday or before. So how much of that is, you know, only comparing yourself to your previous self instead of to others? Because I feel like comparing yourself to others is, is a dangerous game. It's the number one modern day sin, basically, comparing yourself to others. 
And so it's really, an, I'm coming from a competitive place, right? From, from someone that's a former athlete, but it's really, the competition needs to be with yourself. Like what's bringing you fulfillment? And most importantly, how are you fulfilling, uh, filling others' cups? Because that's where I think fulfillment comes from. And that's where mm. the word kind of almost derives itself. <laughs> right. it, it, almost everyone you talk to, what makes you fulfilled, when you get into it, it's because you did something for someone else. And so exactly right. And this is another thing that, again, I wish I did this every day. I'm trying to get it. So I am good at doing this every day. But I like to write down plus one, plus two, plus three, or minus one, minus two, minus three. How was my day? It's never neutral. So mm -hmm. plus one, that's a good day. You know, plus two, wow, really good day. Plus three is amazing. So plus three is just like incredible, something crazy happened. Your book's number one bestseller, you get published, whatever it is that you're trying to do is that that's your, your, your daughter just did X, Y, Z. So that's like plus one, plus three, sorry. And then you got minus one, minus two, minus three. Now, when you do that, then throughout the day, you know, it's about being not perfect, but present or not perfect going for progress. Mm -hmm. And so if you can be present occasionally during the day, we just ask yourself, check in, then that allows you numerically, oh, wow, I'm going for a negative two right now. How do I at least get this to a negative one? Like, how do I course correct during the day? Um, so that's another really helpful tool. And you can put it in like a free Google sheet and then track it. And when you have time, again, I wish I did this every day. I'm trying to get it. So I do it every day. You can write down the one sentence, like, why was it a negative two? Or why was it a plus two? And you'll start to see those patterns. Mm. No, that's great. The, you know, you talk uh, quite a bit in the focus project about the importance of writing things down. You talk about the importance of writing goals down. You talk about the idea of journaling and journaling uh, around your happiness. And, and then you give some specific reason why it's important to do the actual exercise of writing. Can you explain mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah, there's something inherently in our DNA. And for, for some of you, you might want to do a digital, but for most of us, and paper sales are up for journals, you actually, there's something about the process of writing. And I feel that when I do it, it, it not only calms me down, but it allows me to go a little deeper on the thinking. So it's really about the process of getting that onto paper, which is good. And then you don't do this all the time, but I do find it helpful to flip back through my journal to again, see patterns, but also there might be something that I forgot that for like a year, I might've said it almost every day, like a quote. And then you go, Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that quote that I was living by for a year. How did that just kind of go away? Let's bring that back. Um, but yeah, and, and again, just write a sentence. That's the process, write a word. Cause a lot of us go, I don't have time to journal cause you think it's 20 minutes. And sometimes it can turn into that, and that's great. But it's really, again, going for that progress, not perfection, and go, I'm just going to write a word. And of course, that's ridiculous because you're going to write a sentence if you write a word. But <laughs> maybe it's just a sentence that you have time for, and you just write it down. I'm feeling this, or wow, I'm so happy because of X, Y, Z. And so that that's hugely important to do. And actually, this quote, this one I just heard the other day, which I think is great, is that you know, don't wait for life to not be difficult to be happy. Mm -hmm. And I fall in this trap sometimes. I was falling in this year even. I'm like, oh, as soon as I recover from this injury or as soon as we're through this with this client, then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. 
So you can't wait for that. Like there's always going to be those hurdles in your way. So it's really about, it's a good reminder for me to say, Hey, you, you've got a, you know, success. Happiness doesn't come from success. You know, success comes from you being happy first. I love it. And, you know, another thing that uh, you associate with journaling is the importance of scheduling. In particular, I'm thinking about your happiness, right? Journaling those things that made you happiest throughout the day and then identifying them so that you can ensure that you're actually putting them on your schedule no differently than you would any other important appointment. And so, you know, you're really prioritizing yourself, which is a lot of what the Focus Project, in my opinion, is about, right? It's, it's how do you prioritize yourself so that you can be the most effective? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a huge business around time management, but it's really about energy management. And to your point, Brian, it's trying to figure out, this is a good exercise too that helps me whenever I'm kind of losing track, is I'll write down what's the five things that consume my most, the most time that week. And what brought me the most fulfillment? So circle the one that brought the most fulfillment. Then figuring out at a minimum, how do I add a minute more this week <laughs> to that? Like, how do I dedicate more time and energy, more important energy, to that specific activity that's bringing me fulfillment? And it works for business, too. I mean, you could go into business because they all work. I mean, this stuff, it's all harmony <laughs> to where you could do the exact same thing. It might be a little more specific where, like, write down the five things that consume my time from a business standpoint, and then circle the one that derives the greatest ROI, and then figure out how do we dedicate as an individual or as a team one more minute to that activity that's driving, that's driving the most ROI. There we go, back to that iterative process, right? That agility. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So, you know, since we're talking about the Focus Project, we've kind of shifted over into that domain. I, I want to ask you, and this is kind of tongue in cheek, but which came first, the principle of the importance of rest or the sponsorship of Sleep Number? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always do inherently that it's, it's important, although that's not true because growing up, a lot of us heard like sleep when you die, you know, sleeps for whims. <laughs> like there's shirts that literally say that when you're growing up. And then you realize, wait, 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 sleep's important because it's energy management. Just because I got up two hours earlier doesn't mean I'm going to be more efficient or get more done. I probably, research shows you're probably going to get less done actually and do it poorly. And so, when I did the sponsorship with Sleep Number, so they basically were coming out with a new kind of bed because you're thinking about people waiting in line for the iPhone. Why don't everything's becoming smart, smartphone? Why wouldn't there be a smart bed? Mm -hmm. And so Sleep Number was one of the first to identify it. Oh, yeah, smart bed, that makes sense. Ship it to me. You know, I'll take a look at it. They actually hadn't even thought about the smart bed name when they sent it to me. I go, it's, yeah, you sh this is a smart bed. Like, this is. <laughs> Like smartphone, smart bed, because it's calculating all these pieces. Mm -hmm. Like, how am I sleeping? What's the quality of sleep? And so, yeah, and then I learned a ton about sleep. They have sleep doctors at Sleep Number, of course. So that I really learned the importance of not the actual quantity of sleep, but also the quality of sleep. And that really helps your focus as well as intuitively. Again, this is like, duh. But so many of us, <laughs> what do we do? We shortchange our sleep. Because we're like, oh, I got to get more done. Where can I pull from? Oh, I just sleep less. And then all of a sudden, six months later, you're like, wait, I'm getting less done and I feel terrible. Mm -hmm. My health is suffering. 
So it's really a lot of focus is exactly that. It's like, what are my, what am I focused on priority wise and how do I block everything else out? And, and you also associate that with the importance of routine, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we've talked a little bit about reflection, right? You talk about the three R's, the rest, reflection, and routine, or maybe it's the other way around. But, um, you know, I, I like how, I mean, this is part of what I love about your writing, to be honest, Eric, is you oh, encapsulate these things in very easy to remember and, you know, often, you know, humorous, uh, you know, humorously told uh, anecdotes around these concepts, which makes it easy to remember, right? Uh, and that makes your, your teaching powerful. Um, but one of those things that you talk about is routine. And that's, that, you know, the importance of managing this. We've been talking about it a little bit. What are some other areas? And in particular, I know, um, it, you know, Nick was kind of referencing, you know, how do you get up when you're down? One thing that I had, I had seen uh, you stream was about the midlife crisis and kind of the importance of starting to tie some of these concepts together to make it a transformative experience. Yeah, so turn that kind of that crisis around on its end because we're all going to go through it, that midlife crisis where you're sitting like, what am I here for? Like, what am I doing? Am I? And then the thing that helps me a lot, because I'll get up, we all do, we have that morning where we get up, like what? And even if you wrote it down, that's another reason why you want to write it down. So you're not even thinking like, what am I supposed to do today? It's like, that is my goal today. But even if you do have that writing down, sometimes you go, oh man, like what? what's the point? And then if you change the what into who, for me, that changes the whole dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's not like, what am I here for? Who am I here for? And then you figure that out. You know, the old saying, it's cliche, but cliches are there for a reason. It's like the purpose in life is to find your gift. Or your mission in life's, you know, your purpose, your mission in life is to find your gift, and the purpose is to give it away. <clears throat> so it's really when I have a tough time, and it happens, you wake up like, what am I here for? Like, what's the point of conquering the world or whatever you're trying to do? <laughs> and then you go, Well, not yeah, there's just no point in conquering the world. Is it just like who am I here for? Like, who am I going to help today? And so that usually shifts the game and changes it around. Uh, and then getting back to like, you're comparing yourself to the Joneses, because we all do it. It's just, it's inherent in our DNA. If you have siblings, <laughs> at the age of two, you're fighting with your siblings, just built in there for whatever reason. Is that you think about some like a famous musician like Prince, at most, you're kind of like thinking about that person for like a couple of days. And then they move on. Like, it doesn't matter how famous you are, how high you get on the ladder, the proverbial ladder, that at the end, it's all similar. So the only way you can live on is through others. And so that's why it's that who. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. You know, so this... That. No, no, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, jump in, Nick. No, I love that you brought up the comparing the others again, too. And, and you brought up Prince, which, which reminds me that... I remember reading that Eric Clapton himself had to quit playing guitar three times because he thought he wasn't any good because he was comparing himself to his heroes who played guitar when he was just starting. So he was comparing his beginning to someone else's middle. Um, and it just reminded me of that story when you brought it up. That's no, great. Slow hand, Eric Clapton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, and the, this principle of, of giving away, 
I, I think it ties right into something that uh, that I've also you know associated you squarely in the middle of, which is this this term social selling. The irony is, you know, I, I first read about it from your book, How to Sell on LinkedIn, you know, probably five or six years ago, and uh, and and yet suddenly after COVID it's the thing that everybody's buzzing about, right? Suddenly it became this thing where because of the pandemic and the lockdown, it made it even more critical than ever that this become a thing <laughs> that, you know, that's part of the process. But, you know, what I heard you say, I think is, is a key factor in social selling as I understand it, which is to be out there giving away, mm. right? And I, I think in fact, at one point you talk about uh, listen first and sell last, right, is is, is one of those principles. And it's uh, and Nick and I talk about, you know, really extending your hand to give something freely versus reaching out, you know, to get something. Uh, so the, the, let's talk a little bit about uh, social selling, if we could kind of shift gears uh, for a moment and, 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 you know, riff on that for a bit. So you look at social selling, for those that don't know what social selling is, it's essentially using a lot of these tools out there where it's LinkedIn's the most prominent from a business standpoint, but it depends on what industry you're in. If you're in a decorating, it could be Pinterest, for weddings, Pinterest. Uh, if you're in the dance moves, it could be TikTok. You know, it doesn't matter which tool. But it's interesting because what I always say is it's Flintstones and Jetsons. So all digital leaders understand it's Flintstones and Jetsons. You can't replace Flintstones, which is face-to-face, but when time and distance are an issue, you can use these tools to deepen relationships and start relationships. So you can't replace coffees and lunches. We learned that the hard way the last 400 days. But, <laughs> and I said time and distance are an issue. I had no idea when I wrote how to sell on LinkedIn that safety at some point would become an issue. So now mm-hmm. you layer in time, distance, or safety in this past pandemic then you can use these tools for those relationships. And we saw how much we need it when you started to Zoom with your family members on Friday for a happy hour. And you're like, why don't I do this all the time? Because we jam our <laughs> schedules way over packed. That's why, and you're probably not doing it anymore. Those Zoom, <clears throat> those Zoom Friday happy hours, which are glorious. Uh, but they don't replace the actual happy hour itself. Meaning if you can be face-to-face, there's oxytocin transfer, it's in our DNA, that it's all Flintstones, but it's that combination of the two of the world we live in. And when we think about social selling, inherently selling, like Daniel Pink went over this in his book, Drive, that salesmen, we think about that, like it's all these negative words. <laughs> and so they need to rebrand selling because if you do selling well, you're basically listening. And so if you're in the offline world, most of us, it's in our DNA, including myself, you walk in a room, you might instinctively say, who in this room can help me? When you need to invert it and go, who can I help in this room? And the same holds true when you get out there digitally. Going out there, it's going to be in your DNA. We've all done it. I've done it. It's like, here's my new book. Here's this thing. Here's this. This is about me. Here, check it out. Come check it. Instead of doing what I call posting it forward, which is shining the light on others. Like take that selfie and do the unselfie. And so fight that DNA get out there, figure out who you're going to shine the light on out there. And Adam Grant's book's great because he goes into real depth on this, both in the offline and digital world. It's called Give and Take. That if you look at the research, you know, the more you give, the more you're going to receive to a point. You can't just be like saying yes to everything. 
that does not work, but <laughs> it's about, okay, I'm going to help as many people respecting my capacity, being focused on what I'm trying to do as well. But if we can have win-win situations or what I'm looking out for other people, long-term, you give someone what they want, you get what you want. Nothing new, mm-hmm. but it's just got that social digital twist to it that when you go on that digital arena, so to speak, or those digital landscapes, don't forget that. It, it crosses over into the digital world. I like that you bring up social selling too, right? Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, have been for past couple of years. And I can tell people who are just looking for something right away because they just ask you a lot of questions and don't don't listen to anything you're saying. Uh, so it's like, so so what do you do? It's like, I'll tell my profile. You can read that, you know, but it's like, <laughs> uh, so you're, you, you feel like sometimes with those people, you're just being qualified as a client when they're just asking you questions, when, when, you know, everything you said, I, I totally agree with you. It's about playing the long game and uh, building a relationship from there. And it's the same thing we would do in person, right? That's why I used to hate going to in-person networking events because it can feel like the exact same thing too, mm-hmm. when people are trying to qualify a lead or a client right away. Um, so, so I love that you bring all that stuff up. Yeah, in fact, one of the commandments that you uh, refer to in how to sell on LinkedIn is is find, but that's different than you know what what Nick just described is sort of the opposite of that, right? You're just trolling people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this person might be a prospect. Let's start hammering them. But as I understand it, to find means that you really spend some time doing some research. You know, not just looking at a profile. But looking at what's important to what people are posting, you know, seeing sort of the patterns that emerge from uh, either what they're passionate about, where their pain points are, and then that's what can ultimately drive the engagement. And and then you've also established your brand as someone who's got some authenticity versus you're just there, you know, to glad hand somebody so that you can get some money out of their wallets. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're right. The best people understand this digitally and also offline. And offline, we've lived with it a lot longer, so people understand that concept better. But at a networking event, you're at the networking event, and this happened to me. I mean, uh, this lady, she was super sweet, and I'm talking to this lady. She's a little older, and I'd like to say my brain probably didn't creep there, but it probably does. You're like, I need to go talk to that person over there. But it was a great conversation. Is um, like letting her tell her story, which is awesome. And she was super interesting. And at the end, I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, but it doesn't sound like you're in this industry. Like, like, what are you doing at this cocktail reception? She's like, oh, that's my husband. And he's the chairman of the board of the Fortune 100 company, like the biggest person (laughs) in the room. And so it literally does pay to to pay it forward and post it forward. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, active listenership is, you know, one of those those terms that we hear a lot around that as well, right? And that that can be a key driver in establishing those relationships. And it may help uh, really answer some of those questions, maybe not today, but long term, where could there be an opportunity for me to come back and provide a solution for someone based on what I'm hearing? Yep. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, you know, and and you, you talk in social nomics uh, about sort of this transition from word of mouth to world of mouth, which mm-hmm. which I love. I love that you always have these these plays on <laughs> common terminology. Um, and and part of that, you know, you you connect into the the four C's of digital, 
Is, is that something that you can just kind of rattle off for us? Because I think it's worth kind of exploring some of those things. Yeah, I might have to go to the archives. It's a decade ago. The creating, concept. curating, connecting, and culture. Yeah, there you go. So those are the four C's because it's really played off Michael Porter's the four P's. And so we look at those four C's. It's inherently what we've been speaking about here today. It is a lot of it, like you think about curation. So people ask, how many times should I post? And it's like, well, first of all, get away from anyone that says you should post X amount of times per day because it's not a formula like that. The formula should be, do I have something of value to post? Okay, so then how do you help me out? Because it's that's kind of nuanced, that's kind of qualitative. Well, I always say three-second rule. If you have to think more than three seconds, whether it's appropriate or if it's of quality, like people should know this, then it's not valuable. Don't post it. You think about email, it only becomes spam once it's not of value. And so that three-second rule in terms of posting helps. And that's in the curation piece. Curation meaning that if you're posting, say, 20 posts this month, that primarily they don't have to all come from you. Like it's great when it comes from you as an individual, very personal, but you only have so much energy and time. And so a lot of times a value is to curate so that you know what your audience wants and you go, oh, I read this article. That's fascinating. I know that this part of my audience will enjoy that as well. Mm -hmm. So let me just maybe put a sentence why it's valuable to read this article on why you should maybe invest in blockchain, whatever it is, that, that check this out, you'll enjoy it. So that's the curation part um, of those. But when you think about those four C's, it's really about just doing it intuitively over time and, and collaborating with the right people. So no, it's great. It's fun to see some of this stuff. It's almost intuitive now, 10 years later, other stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're still asking that same question 11 years out, but things move slow to their fast. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Think about virtual reality, which I'm not a big proponent of. I mean, I know it's going to happen, but I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's overhyped, but that's been around since 84. So the stuff sometimes takes a while. Or you'll think about mobile voting hasn't happened. So when it happens, it's going to be swift. Mm -hmm. We won't touch that sore spot of a topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's still yeah, I never saw this year. Like this year was crazy. Because I was talking about mobile voting for 12 years. I'm like, uh-oh. So there's, well, it's always been debate. Anyways, we won't get into that. <laughs> no, I think it's a, it's definitely a topic worth exploring, but it's one yeah. that'll easily suck up the rest of our time. Right. <laughs> but the pandemic, accelerated. I think it was only... 11% of all orders came from non-traditional retail means. Maybe they say 11% came from e-commerce. Now it jumped to 27%. Mm -hmm. So when upheavals like this happens, that's when the accelerates. It pulls the five years forward quickly. Yeah, it really does. You know, and, and earlier in the conversation, Eric, I heard you mention that there are some things that you had written about in social nomics that had not yet come to pass. You know, maybe VR is one of those things, but yeah. can you can you pick off a, a couple more that, uh, that are still yeah, for sure. The biggest one is shocking. It was online online voting, so that mm -hmm. hasn't happened. Mobile voting, um, basically, you can vote on your phone, and people immediately go to the presidency. But it's who cares about that to be honest it, for anything yeah. it's like it's the local sure. level that matters that no one votes at the local level mm -hmm. to where literally it just come on your phone hey this vote's coming up for the school 
they want a new swimming pool. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. In like two seconds, like pro con. Here's who's in your network voted which way. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine that's amazing. There's some other stuff that's we won't get into that rat hole, but it's gonna <laughs> happen. So basically, people that say that mobile voting is not gonna happen, they give out the list, privacy, boom, boom, boom. Not everyone should vote. Blah 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 blah. Down the line, it's. It's exactly the same. 90% of the arguments are the same as when people said people wouldn't give their credit card to buy something online. <laughs> so it's kind of the same movie just 25 right. years later. Yeah. So mobile voting. But the biggest one, the biggest one, obviously streaming's basically come. It's here. It's not 100% across the board, but everyone's cutting the cord. So mm-hmm. that's come to fruition. Um, politics, we talked about, it's going to really affect elections. That's come and it, it's here. The one that hasn't happened, which is the biggest opportunity and actually is the definition of social nomics, is that I want to know what you're buying. Like, so if I have my second kid, I need to know what kind of new SUV I need to have. And so if 90% of my subset bought these two vehicles, then that's what I want to do. You know, that... that's the one this is what you paid for it and so it's a huge opportunity it could be facebook they could disrupt google because google search is broken because the only way they make money is for me to click on basically you didn't give me the answer i wanted in the organic results and so it's inherently they make billions of dollars on a broken tool when you think about (laughs) it because the only reason i click on an ad is because you didn't give me the organic results what i need Right, right. Give me the answer. And so Facebook could give you the answer through the social graph, and it saves me a ton of time. I call it, you know, it's multi-individual redundancy. Eliminate that. Why does everyone have to research how to write a will and testament or how to get it, how to do it, when 90 of my friends have already done it and they found a good place to do it? Mm-hmm. So that's socialnomics. That hasn't happened. That's coming. Yeah, we, we sort of have the foundation of it with peer reviews, but uh, but that's not quite you know the leap that you're talking about. Right. So it's slow to it, fast. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think one one final component to that it has to do with brand, and that that's a brand whether you're a, a corporation, it's a brand whether you're an individual. Right, the importance of establishing your brand and then guarding against reputational damage. Because once the reputational damage is there, uh, sure, there's services that can help you, you know, <laughs> undo that uh, with online posts. But you know, can it really be undone? I mean, uh, talk about something that is worth curating and safeguarding against. Uh, so I know you get into the importance of brand in, in a number of your books. What are some of the more salient things that sort of leap to mind in your? bag of tips and tricks yeah no we go into depth on this on what happens in vegas stays on youtube and then so many schools were using it middle high school and colleges that we have what happens on campus stays on youtube as well but at the highest the high levels all of us have what's called the digital stamp and it's comprised of digital footprint that's what we post about ourselves online post about our brand service company but we'll stick at the individual level for this answer And then there's also digital shadow. That's what other people post about us online. Now, collectively, those form our digital stamp. So if you have a teenager, it's not like get off this, stop doing this. It's really you want to produce your best and then protect it. Mm -hmm. So in producing your best digital 
footprint, and then that allows for your best shadow, and that allows for your best stamp, which is kind of a fancy term for your personal brand, which is a modern term for your reputation, which you alluded to. <laughs> Reputation's everything. So it's really about producing your best and protecting it. It's not about being perfect. When you have that mistake, it's about, I call it being flossom. Just <laughs> be as flossom as possible and say, whoops, made a mistake. Here's what I'm doing to fix it. And then follow through and actually fix it. Uh, and that'll help you out. Actually, books that have a 4.5 star rating on Amazon sell better than ones that have a five star because it looks more legit and you understand <laughs> who who the reader isn't. Uh, uh-huh. And so it helps helps out. It's like they sell better because it's got some information about why you might not like it. But uh, that's about it. That's it. That's my super fast spiel on that. That's that's flossum. Thank yeah. you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I know Eric, getting... as, as we're wrapping up here, um, this is a question we ask all our guests. Um, is there a book or a piece of media or something that's had a big impact on you that you'd like to share with everyone? Yeah, Dale Carnegie's, not his How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's a great read, but it's his other one, Stop Worrying and Start Living. It's still oh, sailing today. One. It's written yeah. in the 30s, but it's just, it keeps you on track because we all fall into that spot. Like we started off this conversation where you're like, what am I, what's going on? Like, what am I doing? It's like, okay, stop worrying, start living. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, as, as a one more follow on to that, Eric, of all of the books that you've put out there for one of our listeners, who's interested in, you know, just sort of, you know, getting the Eric Wallman experience, what's the one to start with in your opinion? Uh, the focus projects, just because it focus, all of us need it. So even if you're super, I mean, talk about most of the people that read it are actually better than most at focusing. So it's just a good reminder on some tips and tricks that can help you at the highest, the high levels. And then that allows you to then go into the other books. But that one salient for, for almost everybody out there that's, you think your hair is on fire at the end of the day and you go, I'm not going to do that again tomorrow. And then it's rinse, wash, repeat. Uh, and so again, it's just, it's really helpful for me to this day. That's why I wrote it. Cause it, I go back to it and reread it. Very cool. Hey, can we finish with, uh, with standing like a superhero? Yeah, I've got shorts <laughs> on, but we're good. <laughs> well, I'll stay to you cause I'm so tall. I'll just kind of do it like this. <laughs> so, so, uh, the, the explanation behind this is, is that there is a physiological reason uh, I know that, you know, part of we've talked with a number of different guests about uh, sitting being the new smoking and the importance of actually standing. But you take it to another level with standing like a superhero. You got you got a quick anecdote on that? Yeah, just make it happen because what it'll do, motion creates emotion, which creates energy and it reduces the cortisol for most of us, not everybody, but give it a test. Stand for like a superhero for two minutes, which you know what a superhero stands like. I won't explain how to do that. <laughs> do whichever superhero you do. And it'll reduce cortisol, stress-inducing hormone by up to 20%. But at a minimum, it creates motion, which always creates energy. So at least at a minimum, you'll have that. So it's just make it happen and, and do it. Stand like a superhero. You're all superheroes. It's all about unlocking and unleashing that power on the world. That's awesome. You heard it from Equal Man, Eric Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so, you so much for joining right, uh, us. Eric, if people are looking for you, uh, where, where can they find you? Equal man, just just exactly how it's spelled sounds, equal man across the board and, and don't hesitate to reach out.
All right, perfect. And we'll be sure to post all your uh, social stuff. And uh, I believe you have a podcast too, Super U Podcast as well. All right, so we'll be sure to post all that stuff in the show notes. Great. I love it, guys. I got to run, but thanks for having me on today. No worries. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, take care. Bye, Eric.